So are you ready? We're going to be jumping into chapter 18 this morning. I was talking with someone the other day, and they said something about, well, we started this study back in April or something like that. And I'm thinking, gosh, it seems like years since we've been in the book of Revelation to me, not just since last April. And I'm really surprised, in a sense, that we've made it the kind of advancement that we have as rapidly as we have. But at the same time, I think that we've done a justice, done justice to the scriptures. We're not rushing and hurrying through things. Uh, but I don't know about you. I just have really in, I've enjoyed this study, and 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 I'm almost sorry that there's only like four more chapters after this till we'll be done with it. Uh, but anyway, and then we'll move on to something else. Probably jump into the Old Testament for a little while. Uh, but I just I want to start this morning by reflecting a little bit upon the background that you find in the Old Testament as far as Babylon goes. Well, the whole story started at Babel. You know, Babel became Babylon. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but one of the things that Babylon was noted for is these things called ziggurats, which were these towers that were were, were just built. And, and you know, the, the, the ultimate example of it was the Tower of Babel that was built to begin with. And we don't really understand exactly what took place there, but we know that what, it, what took place, God did not appreciate. God did not like it. And so he brought that sort of to an end. And then we know that many centuries passed, and then Babylon reappeared as a primary part of Scripture in, uh, in the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar was... One of those kings that probably know the most about, he was the king that was there at least part of the time when Daniel was there and, you know, some of the other prophets. Uh, But we understand that in the book of Revelation, it's symbolic. It's like so many of the numbers and other things, they're signs and symbols. Uh, We know that when the Revelation mentions Babylon specifically, it's not just talking about the city of Babylon or the ancient empire of Babylon, which came and it, it went. Today, you go to that area and there's not a whole lot there to even talk about. Babylon has been, it was destroyed completely over the generations and its influence that was once great in the world it really has almost no influence at all anymore. But just remember this, that there's, there's, an, there's this overarching theme you find all the way from the book and it is, it is the juxtaposition of the kingdom of or the city of God as compared to the city of men. That which is good and honorable and glorious as opposed to that which is depraved, sinful, immoral, etc., etc., etc. And we understand that there's a sense in which that is all reflected in mankind. It's reflected in each one of us. That we are sinners. But at the same time, there is God in us, that God indwells us. His Holy Spirit has come to us and taken up residence in us. So what I'm telling you is this is basically each one of us is a micro, microcosm of this whole big picture. And we understand that there's a conflict going on. 
And let me tell you, if there's not a conflict going on in you, then you need to think about things. And what I mean by that is this, is we're told in Scripture that we have to be in the business of putting sin in us, ourselves to death. So you need to be focused on the sin of other people. But Paul says this very boldly in Romans 8.13, that unless we, by the power of the Spirit, are putting to death sin, then we will surely die. In other words, we're not even taking the sin in ourselves as seriously as we ought to. We need to be. It's so easy for us to focus on the sin in other people. Now let me just tell you this. We need to be encouragers and and all of that with each other. We need to be able to go to one another when we see one another in, in, in obvious sin and have conversations with them. But we can never do it from a, from a position of being judgmental. It always has to be because we love our brother and our sister and we want the very best for them. And we need to be receptive to other people coming to us and talking with us about things. Because just let me tell you this. For the most part, the person you think you are is not the same person other people see. Really. Listen to what people have to say about you, and very often you're going to say, that's not me at all. But let me just tell you, you're not the best judge of you. Other people are. But again, you just see all of this reflected in this book, this conflict, this ongoing conflict. And and like I said last week, if there's nothing else you get out of the book, there's this overarching message, and that is basically this, and that is that in the end, wickedness, evilness, Satan, and all of those associated with him, those who have his mark, they will come under the severe judgment of God. And at the same time, God will be victorious. And those who bear his seal will be victorious along with him. If you keep those two things in the back of your mind, wherever you go in the book of Revelation, it will make a whole lot more sense to you. That that really is the overarching message that we are to glean from pretty much everything that's in the book. And you see this pattern over and over and over again. So let's just read a little bit. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and the prison of every unclean and hateful bird. And for all the nations... For all the nations have drunk from the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins, that you may not receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. That's as far as I'm going to read today. Because that's as far as we're going to get. 
Another angel comes. As we've considered the book of Revelation, we've seen angel after angel after angel come. Sometimes making announcements, but sometimes doing things like pouring out bowls of wrath. Another angel, we don't know. It could be, as we've seen in the last chapter, that the angels that had, had come forth in chapter 17 were, were some of those who had had something to do with the pouring out of those seven bowls of wrath. That we know this, we know that angels are emissaries of God. They're messengers of God. They always come down from heaven. Heaven is their abode. They may spend some time here. This particular angel has great authority. So it's not that the angel's just been sent forth to make an announcement by Christ or by God. He's actually been given authority to accomplish something, to do something on God's behalf. And we see this in Scripture that very often God does send them on missions. Sometimes he sends angels with messages, but sometimes he also sends them on missions. Notice here that we're told the earth was illumined with his glory. Can, I mean, can you imagine this angel coming forth with his great authority? With the brilliance of the light of Christ shining in him. To the degree the whole earth is illuminated. We look at that and we wonder why. Well, we've read in the past that very often when the angels came forth, that they spoke forth with a loud voice, like a trumpet. That was Jesus actually did that. But, 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 the, but and, and what we considered then was this, is basically it seems like what's going on here is they're speaking loud enough that everyone on earth can hear what they're saying. So no one in the end will have the excuse of saying, I didn't hear. You can see in this particular picture, but that now it's not just the matter of hearing, it's also the matter of seeing. That now no longer people will be able to say that I couldn't hear, now they won't be able to say, I didn't see. The God, the glory of God is out there for everyone to see if they just take the time to do it. All you have to do is walk out the door and look up in the sky. You guys have done this very frequently in your lifetime. And you're just overcome with the awesomeness of all of it. When you look at the cosmos around you and consider the expanse of the, of the heavens above us. And you look around this world with your eyes and you see the plants and the grass and the trees and the animals and this and the majesty of the mountains and the beauty of the sea and all of that, you're lifted up. To see the glory of God, it is obvious to everybody. 
This is what we call natural revelation. That there is no one in the end that is going to have any ground to say, I did not know there was a God. That there is just too much around us that speaks to us over and over again that He is, that He is all-powerful. Let me tell you, we've got one or two options here, guys. One of those is there is a God, a Creator God, and the other one is this, is everything that's happened in this universe, even the universe coming into being, was just simply a matter of next to impossible chance after chance after chance, after chance. The glory of God is in this world. And more in people than anywhere else. Because it's people who are made in the image of God. You know, the Bible doesn't even say that angels are made in God's image. We're the only creatures mentioned in the, in the Word that are made in God's image. That we bear the image of God. That there's something about us that makes us unique from everything else. And that uniqueness comes from the fact that He, he makes us in His image. What a privilege that is. It's something that we take for granted and we don't think very often about. That is what makes people so very special to him. Sin has not just tainted it. Sin has done everything it can To destroy that image. Paul tells us in in chapter 8 of Romans. That we've been predestined. For what purpose? The purpose is to be conformed to the image of his son. To be made like Jesus in that image. To bear that image. So the glory doesn't just fill the earth. This angel also cries out with a mighty voice. Again, when we've said this before, and that is it seems as though what's going on here is that so everyone hears. That no one's going to be able to say, I didn't hear. And it goes out to all of the earth. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And we've talked a lot about this in chapter 17. The focus of that chapter, I'll go all the way back to 14, and the announcement is made that Babylon has fallen. Both Jeremiah and Isaiah the prophets announced that Babylon was fallen. It's a prophecy you find common in both of their books. Babylon. And we understand that they were talking most specifically about ancient Babylon that was still future to Isaiah, but at the same time, Jeremiah was right in the middle of it. 
And it's an example that you see in Scripture over and over again how, how one thing is true uh, at a particular point or in, in the history of the world that becomes truer in a greater sense later on. Because we understand that in Revelation, Babylon is symbolic. Symbolic of the wicked and evil world. Of Satan. And of the demons. And of all of those who bear his mark. You understand that's what's going on here. It's the announcements that the end has come. God's final judgment is upon this world. And we're just in chapter 18. We're not to the end yet. As we've gone through the book, we've seen this kind of thing over and over again. Like I said before, as I mentioned the first time in, in chapter 14. It's all pointing to this final day of judgment when things will be made right. There's all kinds of injustices going on in the world around us today. It's been true in every generation. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, things are really worse now than they've ever been. There's some ways I would say that's true as far as just the general American culture mindset today. We've lost a lot of ground as far as just general morality goes. The Babylon, the ancient Babylon was great at a time, for a time. But it did in fact become a dwelling place for jackals, as the prophets announced. Here we have a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. In other words, the earth has become unclean. And it's filled with unclean things. Just remember this. We understand this from Scripture. And that is that when God's final judgments do come, that his people will be spared. His people will be protected. There's a rapture coming. It comes at the very end of time, at the time of the second coming of Christ, not before the tribulation, guys. That is not biblical. This is not in the Bible. What the tribulation appears to be to me is a time of heightened persecution of the church that takes place immediately before the second coming of Christ. And when Christ talks about these things, he doesn't mention anything about a rapture taking place before the great tribulation. Period. We have, to, we have reason to believe that there's, the scriptures teaches us this, that, that things are actually going to get worse before they get far better, before they become great. That there's this downward trend that's taking place. This world today is unfit 
for the children of God to live in it. But one of these days, it will be renewed. See, that's the other part of the message. Every bit of wickedness and evilness in us and around us will be gone forevermore. That sin within us will finally be put to absolute and eternal death. And it's only then that we will really be able to see the glory of God and really appreciate the greatness of the glory of God. There's this, there's, there's this ball and chain that keeps holding us back where we are now. It's that vestige of sin that's still within us, that brings us doubts, that causes us to wonder about this and the other, that causes us to question certain things. I don't know about you, but I'll be glad when that's gone. We will have no more doubts. We will not wonder about anything else. We will know the truth. And the fullness of that truth. And it will live within us. It will be us. It will be the the, the point in us from which absolutely everything about us flows forth. Central to everything. No more sin. But Jesus will not only renew us, he will renew the heavens and the earth. This place will be transformed into paradise. A real paradise. Forever. And we will live with our Lord here in this world. Never ever one inkling of evil or wicked or immorality ever again. That sounds like a huge thing. That sounds impossible to us almost in a sense. But let me tell you, it's a measure of the greatness of our God. He will make it happen. He's the only one that can. We can't, but he can. And he will. Because he promised he would. And God never goes back on his promises. When he promises, it's done. And very often with the promises of God in Scripture, it speaks in the present tense of something that's actually come in future because it's so certain it's going to happen. Because God said that it would, that you can count on it, you can bank on it. There's no way it's not going to happen. There are certain aspects of your salvation that are spoken of in the past tense. That you've been predestined. That you've been called. Those things have happened to you already if, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've also been justified. You've been made right with God, but you have not yet been glorified. Which means that's what your final state is. When you will be in all of the fullness of the glory of God. There will be no more sin. You will be made perfect in the image of Christ. 
Has that happened to you yet? No, but Scripture speaks to it as if it has. Because it is so certain to be. The nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of our immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality worth her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Very often in, in Revelation we see things made in reference to the nations. Now all of the nations are represented. Whenever you have these gatherings of the children of God, all the nations and tongues and peoples are represented there. The church is an international church. It includes people from everywhere. Every group of people. The same thing is true when it comes to those who bear the seal or the mark of the beast. Those who continue in their immorality unchecked in a sense. We've seen these kings of the earth who have allied themselves with who is her. Well, obviously, it's the harlot, the seductress that we studied in chapter 17. I would say that she's a picture of sin. That, that which entices people to follow after it. That which promises all kinds of great and wonderful and good things. That which is a lie from the pit of hell. There are passages that talk about the fierce wrath of the wine, wine of the wrath of God. See, there's a play on words here again. You see very often here in Revelation that there's a likeness kind of ascribed to Satan or the red dragon and whatever that, that kind of mimics God, mocks God. As the seductress had many allies down through the generations, very often they were people in great authority, people in great positions. You think about the Babylonian Empire. Fundamentally wicked, evil people. They used meat hooks to chain people together. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? You understand this? That when, when many of the Jews went to exile in Babylon, they were chained together by meat hooks. Can you imagine? The Babylonians were noted for being particularly cruel and horrifying. Their world was petrified that they would come their way, including Judah and Israel. And they did. 
and they destroyed. These are the kings of the earth. They will be judged severely. They will suffer like they never came close to making other people suffer. They will know God's judgment. They will know his justice. The merchants of the earth. First time merchants have been mentioned in Revelation. Commerce is coming into the picture. The financial aspects of the world coming to bear, bear upon some of these things. Let me ask you something. Finance is important to you? They have something to do with your life? Have you given any thought about finances this week? Have you given a good bit of thought about finances this week? Being a merchant is not an evil thing. Commerce is a good thing. But these particular merchants, they become rich by selling immorality. This is the kind of thing still going on today. Are there prostitution rings? Are people slaves today in this world? Are little children sometimes sold into bondage? Do we have a crisis at our border? Let me tell you, if we have one child that's coming across the border to be sold into slavery, then we have a crisis. how people can sleep at night and not do anything about it is beyond my wildest imagination. It's immoral not to do anything and everything we can to put an end to that stuff. Think about the drug industry. How many people have become wealthy off of that? It's almost like there's a special place in hell for people like that. Because they have pulled so many other people into their immoral acts. And just remember, every one of those children is made in God's image. The sad thing, guys, is this. is very often today, speak, people say very evil, immoral things, 
and they picture those as being good. I'm talking about late-term abortion. How can anybody speak of that in a sense that it's a good thing? And there are people, there are public figures that are speaking out as if it is a good thing. How could anybody ever be there? Do we have immoral leaders in this world? You betcha. And in a sense, they're marketing immorality. And very often, they're getting wealthy over it. I'm not sure that we really want to see the depths of the ugliness of Washington, D.C. I think it's far deeper and far worse than any of us can even begin to imagine that most of the people there, a lot of the people there have been bought. Bought and paid for. That they never, no longer represent morality. They no longer represent the people they're supposed to represent. They represent themselves. And they're in it for themselves. And what they can get out of it. Or another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. Sounds like rapture to me. We've already heard Jesus tell John all the way back in chapter 4 to come, come up, come up here. Jesus says, all of those who are tired and weary laden. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I said before, there's a rapture coming. There's going to come a time when Jesus is going to say to his people that are still in this world, Come. First Thessalonians chapter 4, And they will meet him in the air. Then, and only then, will the fullness of God's wrath be poured out upon this earth and everyone left in it. There's a purpose of the rapture, and part of the purpose is to bring us to Christ, but part of the purpose is to protect us from what's coming. God's people will not be in this world when these things fall upon it. He calls them to calm that you may not participate in her sins. That you may not be a part of it any longer. 
Sounds really good. And for the reason that you will not receive of her plagues. Now let's just bring this to home a little bit as we wrap this up. There's a sense in which Jesus calls us perpetually. He's calling you right now. He's calling all of us to come out. To step out from this world around us. To be different. To represent him. To leave our former life behind. To live for him. God has things for you to do today. God has things for you to do tomorrow. Your life is not your own to spend any way you wish to. It is his bought and paid for. He can call you to do anything he wants you to do, anytime he wants you to do, whatever he wants you to do. We just need to learn to say, yes, sir. Which we're resistant to do. Because we don't like to have our time infringed upon. We don't like to have our life infringed upon. And the older we get, sometimes it seems like the more we get to be that way. But this life is not ours. There should be a sense in which every night when we go to sleep, we can honestly, truly say, today I've been about my father's business. Not that I've just been about, I just got through another day, or, or, or I'm glad that one's over with, or, or whatever. There needs to be, at every end of every day, a sense, I've been about my father's business. Let me just tell you, if that's not true... Why would we think anything's ever going to be any different? Seriously. We're in this world for a lot of reasons. One of those is God's not done with us yet. But we're here to serve Him, not ourselves. Sometimes that means serving other people. Lori serves me all the time. I serve her probably on occasion, maybe a little. But that's the Christian life, guys. It's a call to service that doesn't stop. 